You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, we begin with the pandemic, of course, as England may need to tighten its lockdown restrictions if people don't follow the rules. That's all in a warning from Boris Johnson, who says any complacency about the disease is misplaced. This is a very perilous moment because everybody can sense that the vaccine is coming in. And my worry is uh, this is the moment where that could breed a, a false confidence, false complacency. So the Prime Minister there, of course, speaking about uh, at the opening of one of seven new vaccine centres that were open yesterday, big focus yesterday on on delivering the, the sort of the real plan to roll out that vaccine. But Boris Johnson also risking undermining his own appeal, perhaps, after going on a bike ride at a place seven miles away from Downing Street, the Olympic Park. The House Secretary, Matt Hancock, defending the Prime Minister, saying a long walk or cycle ride are allowed, regardless of whether that was allowed or not, though, Roger. It's raising questions, isn't it? Well, it is, and it does seem to be around what the regulations are, how far they can be enforced, and how far we're actually doing what we're being told to do. How effectively, then, has the government got over the message that virus restrictions need to be adhered to strictly? Joining us now is Rosie Duffy, Labour MP for Canterbury. Rosie, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the programme. Um, all right, well, let me ask you, are people in Canterbury obeying the rules? It largely seems to know they are. And um, we get sort of photos posted from the middle of town by organisations like the police who are going out and checking things. And they, it does seem to be largely empty. I haven't really been out and about much around here. But I also get reports from Whitstable on the coast of my constituency saying that there are too many people on the beach. Um, and, you know, they, they're worried that people are coming from London still. And it's not really clear that that is the case. But it's just how people feel. People are very, very tense about the numbers of visitors around here. So when I go for a walk with the dog in Whitstable where I live, I tend to go at night and I literally don't see another soul. 
So, so Canterbury sounds like uh, are following the rules. The rest of the country, perhaps not. In terms of resetting this and maintaining that social contract with the people, Rosie, what is the best way of going about that? Because, I mean, it, it is difficult. We are far into a pandemic and, and it may be quite reasonable that standards start to slip. But of course, that can't happen if we're going to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason that here in Kent that we've been taking it so seriously is because, of course, we're at the heart of the new variant or the new strain. Um, and it, it really sent a shockwave around my area because, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing younger people affected by the virus. We were told that they were spreading it possibly through school. So we, we did sort of get a bit of a shock and just before Christmas. And I think that makes it easier for people to understand how incredibly important staying at home is. But yeah, you're right. I've, I've seen that sort of trend towards relaxing across the, the country. People are fed up. And some areas have been in the heaviest lockdown or the heaviest tier number for months and months now. And it's very difficult. If, if it doesn't affect your particular family or your own self, it's very hard to sort of connect to that, isn't it, when you're inside your own home. So I think the messaging, the messaging from the government is the most important key here. You know, instead of repeating the same things they started in March, maybe change it a little bit, just adapt and update it and say why it's so important at the moment. And I think another key aspect is to make it, to have a kind of end in sight and a goal and a kind of aim for all of us. You know, where are we going to get to and how do we begin to ease these restrictions? What are we looking for? That would really help people, I think. But that's the carrot, I suppose. But there has to be a stick as well. At least many people are saying there has to be. There has to be stricter enforcement. And, well, we, we heard this morning from Dame Cressida Dick, who's the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, saying that police will be more uh, willing to impose fines, that perhaps you won't just get the warning, they will come in hard. Do you think that's a good idea? Um, I know that the Kent Police have been really reluctant to do that because um, just before this, this new lockdown and the new tier system, they told me they'd have seven um, of the, of the, they'd imposed seven of the highest fines, which at the time was about £10,000, on parties and things that had sprung up. But they were really reluctant to do that. It was more about, you know, enforcing those rules in a kind of calm and gentle way and just explaining to people. And that seems to have worked in my area. But yes, of course, we need to get stricter if people are just blatantly disregarding that because so many people are at risk. And we know the people that are most vulnerable are the exhausted NHS workers, the exhausted key workers, and we need them to be able to keep going. But regardless of how much people are following the rules, I mean, I, I don't know about Canterbury, but certainly in London, the feeling is that this doesn't look like the first lockdown where uh, where people really were doing what they were supposed to do. They were staying inside. The roads were dead. I mean, I live on a main road. There were no cars going past. Now it just seems like any other day. So if, if, if not enforcement um, and if obey, obeying the rules isn't an issue, then what's going wrong? Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, when I've been in London, the Parliament was recalled last week. Um, I've noticed a lot more traffic as well, um, you know, and, and we, we sort of have to travel, you know, if you like, between Parliament and our constituencies just to, you know, just to be sort of near in case there's a vote. Although, thankfully, now we've got um, virtual participation, participation, we can have a proxy system, but um, there's still been some really vital votes. And it's scary just even sort of getting into your own car and travelling around. And every time I'm on the road, I think... Where is everyone else going? You know, why has the traffic suddenly got so much more, you know, busy? Where are people going? They can't all be essential workers having to go to their jobs. So, yeah, I think there is a sense in some places that, you know, if that number's down a little bit, we can all just jump in our cars, we can all travel around. And that just isn't the case. We have got to stay on top of this.
Well, I'll have to ask you about Boris's uh, biking episode. I mean, many people are saying, well, hang on. You know, he, he went a certain distance. Yes, he was just getting exercise. We're all supposed to. Um, I mean, are you are you clear that what he did wasn't on? Or or do you think that, oh, that really it's, a, it's not Barnard Castle, is it? No, it really isn't. People are so divided on this. You know, was he... I mean, I guess he was kind of doing it fairly blatantly. You know, he knew that people would sort of see him. So I suppose that they, you know, his advisors thought that really was not breaking the, the rules. But um, it's not a great look when you have to when you go across London, you know, to do a bit of exercise and you're telling people to stay as local as possible. So I'm not sure people have been that impressed because, you know... We're so frustrated ourselves, aren't we, about where we can go out and what we can do. And I, I don't feel comfortable just walking around London. You know, when I'm there to work, if I have to be, I stay literally inside because, you know, I think, well, that's not exactly my local vicinity and it's not what we're supposed to be doing. So it is confusing. I think we need a bit more clarity on that particular rule. Yeah, certainly a very odd occurrence. Um, and then to the issue that hopefully will get us out of all of this, the vaccination programme. How is that going on in Canterbury? Are your hospitals coping OK uh, with, with, with that rollout? Um, the hospitals are absolutely overwhelmed, I have to say. Um, you know, we, we've had difficulties in our hospitals here for quite a while. Uh, you know, it just needed a bit of a spike of flu and we were really struggling in the past couple of years. So, I know that a lot of new patients have been shipped out to places like Southampton and bigger hospitals and other areas. So um, that's been a problem. I think they're doing their absolute best, it has to be said, but the vaccine is certainly going to help. And I've seen uh, friends and family sending me photos of people in the queues for, for the vaccine. So I know it's starting to go ahead now and it will make a difference, I hope so. Let me move you on to uh, another issue, one, of course, that is also uh, causing major problems, uh, certainly in terms of red tape for business, and that's Brexit. The, we've got the deal. The deal has gone through. Business now confronting what that actually means. But I'm interested to get your view because significantly, I think, in the last few days, Keir Starmer, your leader of your party, pretty much buried the idea that they would campaign for rejoining the European Union or, or changing things much. He said they would change some things. Um but I know you've gone on record as saying you think the majority of the PLP would like to uh, rejoin, and, and indeed yeah. you think that's the, the widespread view. Certainly before this deal was signed, I would have said that almost all my colleagues that I was working with on the people's vote would absolutely have jumped at the chance to rejoin as soon as possible. But I think people's view in the PLP has changed slightly. Not mine. You know, there are a few of us that are determined that we will work towards rejoining, but I think the mood within the PLP probably isn't ready for that yet. I'm really hoping that in the next few years we can see a path towards that. I know there are so many activists that I've worked with for the last few years that are raring to go and to build a movement towards rejoining, and I'm going to be part of that and working with them. Is this not a bit a bit of a gift, though, for the Tories when you come to the next election and Labour tries to win back the seats it lost, particularly in the Midlands and the North, um, who are now getting the message, the voters in those areas, that Labour will take the UK back into the EU, or at least we'll try to. Yeah, I mean, it's very much a bit of an existential crisis for the Labour Party at the moment, isn't it? Do we just go after those so-called red wall voters? Do we, in doing so, assume that they are all, you know, hung up on a Brexit happening? Because I'm not sure that that is, even is quite clear, actually. And have some of those people changed their mind? Or do we also widen our reach? To areas like mine and sort of Cambridge and Norwich and the kind of areas that that are very staunch Remain areas, we can't just leave them behind. 
And I think we need to be a bit sort of broader in our thinking. You know, we, instead of going after the seats we've only just lost because of Brexit, which is still, you know, quite raw, what are we offering to other areas like the South East, the South West, Scotland, you know, which we don't seem to have been talking about that much. What are we offering to those remaining kind of areas or areas that have moved on or realised the impact of Brexit? Yeah, we can't just leave them behind and we have to think about that very seriously. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Roger, we start with... The police. It's all about enforcement at the moment, isn't it? It seems to be, because Britain's most senior police officer has warned virus rule breakers they are increasingly likely to face fines. The Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Cressida Dick, said it was, quote, preposterous that anyone could be unaware of the need to follow the regulations. She was writing in The Times and said, forces will now move more quickly to enforce the restrictions. Now, at the same time, Sainsbury's and Morrison's supermarkets have said they're now going to ban shoppers who refuse to wear face masks. But according to The Guardian, uh, security sources are saying police will not enforce mask wearing in those supermarkets or indeed in any shop. So a very confusing picture. Yeah, and it always raises the question over who is exempt, blah, blah, blah. I know certainly the Europeans uh, on the mainland are very good at wearing masks. It's a normal thing to wear them outside. And I wonder if that will become a next step. But of course, that does involve another change in behaviour. Elsewhere, though, a Manchester United forward Marcus Rashford is back in the news, causing more trouble for the government. He highlighted that free school meals packages uh, that are being given to some children just aren't up to scratch. There's a picture doing the rounds on Twitter. I'm sure many of you will have seen it. Uh, A package supposedly worth £30 containing a couple of tins of beans, a few bananas, a bag of pasta and a very small amount of reg. And I've got to say, it all looks quite beaten up as well. Uh, So he's sounding the alarm over that. The Department for Education last night said it was investigating. They say we have clear guidelines and standards for food parcels, which we expect to be followed. Parcels should be nutritious and contain a varied range of food. But the Minister Simon Clark has accused Rashford of seeking to whip a storm up on Twitter. He's certainly doing that. Uh, And I mean, if Rashford's record is anything to go by, the Tories really should watch out this one. Indeed, yes. It doesn't do well to go up against Marcus Rashford. And while we may have left the EU, uncertainty remains in many key areas on Brexit. An exclusive interview with Bloomberg, Clément Beaune, who's France's junior minister for EU affairs and a close ally of the President Emmanuel Macron, said Britain is still not fully sovereign, despite Brexit. The UK has secured in this deal access to the EU markets, which we were ready to provide for, but respecting in many respects our rules and our standards, which limits the ability to be fully sovereign, but that's the balance that shows. Well, Bowen also weighed in on the European market for financial services, saying it's for the EU to decide on the kind of access it wants to give the UK. Negotiations are set to kick off soon for an accord that should ensure regulatory cooperation between all sides. An excellent bit of trolling there from the French. What can you do, huh? Anyway, let's talk about voting. A voter set to go to the polls in May for council and mayoral elections in England, parliamentary elections also in Scotland and Wales. But with the pandemic raging, speculation is now growing about whether they will actually go ahead. We heard from the Conservative MP Steve Bryan. He said they'll almost certainly 
be postponed. Labour's Meg Hillier saying that some delay would be the only option. Boris Johnson has previously said that the May date will be kept under review, but it does raise another question of balance, balance we've talked about a lot throughout the pandemic, this time between health and democracy. So joining us to talk about this is Akash Pound, his senior fellow at the Institute for Government. Akash, good to have you back on the programme. Um, so, I mean, some of these elections have already been postponed once from, uh, from 2020. Should they now be delayed again? Well, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, yes, as you say, it does seem increasingly likely um, that some or maybe all of the elections scheduled for May uh, are going to be pushed back. Um, based on recent uh, statements by, by, by the various governments involved, the UK government and, and also the Scottish and Welsh governments who control the date of their own elections. And my view on this is it may turn out to be impossible to hold these elections safely. We are, of course, as we speak, um, at a very bad time of the pandemic. The, the cases are, are rising rapidly um, and if the elections were to be uh, taking place this week or next week, um, I think I could absolutely see uh, why, why, why it may not be a good idea. However, I do think that um, delaying elections um, should be an absolute last resort. And we do still have four months to go. The situation may look quite different by May if the vaccination programme is on schedule and the numbers start to, to come down in terms of infections and, and, and deaths. And there are a number of mitigations that can be put in place by government to ensure that the elections are uh, able to be held safely so we can move to um, maybe all postal or at least a much larger share of votes being cast uh, by postal ballots. You could use more proxy voting as well. You could spread the vote over more than one day. I mean, these are some of the options that the Scottish government is considering, for example. So yeah. There are things that can be done, and other countries have shown that as well. But but, but Akash, I mean, the point is surely that it's not just the voting itself. Though heaven knows we've known, seen from the US how complicated it can be once you get into uh, postal voting in a big way. Uh, but also the campaigning. I mean, that's got to start pretty soon, uh, if indeed they're going ahead. And the, the, the risks of doing that surely are going to be huge. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do see, uh, I do see that point absolutely. And as I say, as things stand now in in, in January. Um, we clearly don't want lots of uh, canvases going door to door and, and campaigning in, in the tr traditional face-to-face -face way. Um, so I think if the elections are to take place, um, the campaigns would have to be run differently as well. And, uh, you know, I think people over the past uh, 10 months or so since, since the pandemic started have got used to um, living a larger share of their lives online, shall we say. All sorts of interactions take place um, virtually and via social media and so on um, that previously might have been done face-to-face. -face. We're doing this interview <laughs> down the line by phone. Previously, I might have come into the studio to do it with you. Um, and I think campaigning can, can adapt um, in, in, in a similar way. Um, because ultimately, I think that, you know, this isn't just like cancelling or, or postponing um, Premier League football or, or Glastonbury Festival or yeah. some other uh, mass gathering um, of that kind. This is a core part of our, of our democratic process. And 
Um, if we are going to delay it, they should first of all explore all avenues to, to hold these elections safely. Um, and if we are to delay it, also the delay should be kept as short as possible. What I really don't want to see yeah. is the government kind of dithering and then ending up uh, not having a plan and having to just delay them as a kind of uh, in desperation close to polling day. Well, let's assume they do go ahead in, in, in 21. Uh, I mean, you talk about behaviour going online. What about voting online? I mean, it's something that gets debated here and there. Is it finally time to get on board with that and move our electoral system out of the Middle Ages? I think that putting in place a secure and trusted and well-tested uh, online voting system um, in the space of a few months um, potentially is, is, is a bit too much of an ask uh, for, for, for government and the electoral authorities. Um, I mean, I think in, in the longer run, there's no reason why not, as, 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 as we've just been talking about. Um, all sorts of other things are, are, are increasingly done online that um, previously was not the case. And yes, why can't vote the voting process well, be updated as well? But there are, of course, um, security risks to that in terms of potential for, for hacking and, and systems to go wrong, as well as possible uh, voter fraud and so well, on. Akash, um, can, if I can... So it would have to be done very carefully. I was sure. going to say, if I can interrupt you on that, Akash, I mean, that, it's been pointed out time and again that the one thing that probably keeps the UK's electoral system from the kind of uh, issues that the, the Americans had with Russian involvement potentially and other things was the fact that it's the stubby short pencil in a in a in, in a in a cold um parish hall that that is simply unhackable and that would change yes and as i say you wouldn't want to rush into these things and that's why i i, I absolutely wouldn't be advocating that we should simply quickly roll out um an online voting system in the space of a few months um so that the, the, the election should could go ahead um, in May, I think that would be, yeah, that, that would raise the risks of something quite bad going wrong. Um, and you're absolutely right. There is, there is something uh, very reassuring about the way we, we do traditionally do elections. Um, you have a piece of paper, you have a pencil or, or a pen if you bring your own pen. Um, and you know that, uh, well, there are ways in theory that those things can be tampered with, but, but we do have a, a pretty secure and, and um, robust and trustworthy electoral system. So, no, I don't want to be messing around with that um, willy-nilly and, and in haste. Um, but, yes, in, 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 if, if, if security concerns can be um, very rigorously dealt with, then in the long run there's no reason why that couldn't be considered as well. Uh, what about the political element to this? I mean, the decision lies with Boris Johnson. Is it not in his interest to delay these elections? You've got the fact that ruling parties rarely do well in local elections. The Tories, some would say, don't have a credible mayoral candidate in London uh, to take on Sadiq Khan. The SNP wouldn't get that whole new mandate for independence argument if they do well, as they're expected to, up in Scotland. So surely it points to many good reasons for Boris Johnson to delay this. Boris Johnson comes in, comes in for criticism for, for various decisions he's taken as Prime Minister during this pandemic. Um, I wouldn't like to suggest that he would be taking such a, an important decision um, on the basis of, of narrow partisan advantage. Um, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're quite right that uh, politically 
this could be quite a difficult set of elections for the Conservative Party. Um, Yes, certainly in in Scotland, um, an SNP majority is is going to be uh, a a, a very big moment as far as the future of the union is concerned. Big mayoral elections and so on in England as well don't look that great for the Conservatives. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.